Well, good morning to you. It's nice to see you all. And anybody who may be listening online or even watching online this morning, good morning. So my name is Adam. I've been a youth pastor here for quite a long time. I know that most of you know me, but if you are visiting, it's nice to have you this morning. A very special welcome to you. Pastor Joe and his wife are away for the weekend, enjoying time with each other. Pray for rest. Pray for safe travels and that God would bless them. So I entitled this morning's message, An Encounter with Jesus. It's very simple. But I have some things that I want to kind of um, break down for you this morning. I hope that you will understand. I hope that when given an opportunity to respond, that you will choose to respond because it is, of course, a choice that we have. So I want to start by saying, did you know that the majority of the things that we look at, that we preach from the pulpit, really, if you think about it, don't necessarily come from a sermon that Jesus preached, but rather a one-on-one -on -one conversation that he had with somebody else. So a lot of the things that we gather, that we present, come from one-on-one -on -one conversations with Jesus. And we know that having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody is different than having a presentation to a crowd. Or when you are trying to get the opinion of the masses. The more people there are, the more opinions there are. And sometimes that it's difficult in places like work where you have certain people that you know could speak up and change the atmosphere and the environment and the outlook and the approach of the room. But if they keep silent because they're very afraid of being ostracized or afraid of being because usually the people that are creative, they take risks, they step out. They're kind of marginalized, right? Kind of like because we want to kind of keep it down here. We don't want to work too hard. So one-on-one -on -one conversations are very different. You have a staff meeting in a workplace that usually cause people to give their opinions, to, you know, or keep their opinions to themselves. Maybe it's easier to conform to the majority when input is needed so we don't rock the boat, so to speak, too much. See, Sunday mornings here are different than Sunday nights because it's a smaller group. Maybe you talk a little bit more. You're forced to get out of your comfort zone. But... Wednesday evenings are different than Sunday, or Wednesday evenings are different than Sunday evenings. So it continues to become more and more intimate, more and more one-on-one. -on -one. A one-on-one -on -one counseling session with the pastor is very different because now I can be me, I can be real, I can be vulnerable, I can be authentic with my emotions because I have no fear of judgment anywhere. Nobody is around. I can talk freely and hope that this person out from the Word of God has an answer. And I can start embarking on the journey of finding a solution, surrendering, submitting, and being on my way. Did you know that John 3.16, maybe the most amazing and quoted verse in history, was from a one-on-one -on -one conversation? See, we're more open and honest when we have an individual and personal encounter with someone. And, and sometimes it's so impacting that from that moment forward, it doesn't really matter to us what other people think anymore. So we have to kind of stop allowing a crowd to influence our decisions or the person next to me, my shoulder partner. 
to stop allowing people to influence my decision with my life for Jesus and being obedient to him so I can fulfill the purpose that he has for me. See, a true encounter with Jesus will birth a new life, a new language, new enthusiasm, new conduct, and even new friends. The great physician, we call him, is perfect. He's a physician. He's a doctor because he prescribes things to you. And it's personal. It's not just everybody gets some of this. It's personal. See, being the great physician, he knows exactly what to prescribe to each individual. The woman at the well, he didn't talk about the new birth. And to Nicodemus, he didn't talk about living water because he knew what each of those people needed. And he knows what you need this morning. Thank God for that. He knows me. He knows what I need. Because it might be way different than what you may need this morning. See, we get stuck and we sometimes fail in our attempt to be obedient in evangelizing the lost. Sometimes we're not very good at that because we, give, we feed people church lines that they don't understand. We try to speak what we call Christianese and try to have some type of church swagger, right? And people don't get that. I just want you to be real. I used to be this, do this, say this, and now since Jesus, my life is different and he can do the same for you. It's very simple. They need a one-on-one -on -one encounter with Jesus, not a church line from you. So I want to talk about a woman's encounter with Jesus and you're going to be in Luke 7 most of the time. So this one-on-one -on -one encounter with Jesus, Jesus is about to address this woman's past. This woman's past that would not leave her alone. She was tormented by her past and the decisions that she had made. They kept being thrown in front of her face. She kept being reminded of the type of person that she was. So Jesus is about to have an encounter with this woman. So in regards to the past, the great 4th century church father Augustus says this. Trust your past to God's mercy. Trust your present to God's love. And trust your future to God's providence. See, this woman began in this moment to trust God with her past. To trust his mercy with her past. Mercy. Grace, grace getting what we don't deserve, mercy not getting what we do deserve. See Luke 7, and I'm going to read for a little bit, starting with verse 36. It says, now one of the Pharisees, and I love this, this is the New American Standard. I found this version kind of helpful with this passage. It says, now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Immoral, in other words. Unclean, in other words. In fact, the woman that we're reading about in this chapter was known in this city as a prostitute. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. 
38 says, And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, listen to this, he said to himself, it doesn't say he, he said this out loud. See, Jesus sees your every thought. He hears it all. He knows it all. So he says to himself, man, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who's touching him, that she is a sinner. Who is this dude? So Jesus, I mean, I'm kind of in front. He reads his thoughts and he's like, oh, all right. See, he, he kind of sees what he's thinking. In the midst of this encounter. In 40, listen to this. And Jesus answered him. Answer what? His thoughts? Listen to this. Simon, I have something to say to you. Oh, shoot. I mean, can you imagine you're caught in this moment and he's looking at you. Jesus, the son of God, I have something to say to you. Like, oh, he just, he saw and heard what I was thinking. That's what he does. He knows it all. And he replied, say it, teacher. I don't know how he replied. Okay. Say on, teacher. Listen to this. 41 says, a money lender who had two debtors owed 500 denarii and the other 50. 42 says, when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love more, he asked. Do you see this woman? I entered into your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are, are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little and he said to her your sins have been forgiven so 49 says those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves again man who is this man who is this man who even forgives sins and he said to the woman your faith has saved you go in peace he who has been forgiven much loves much he or she who have been forgiven little loves little. There's not a person in this room right now who has not been forgiven of much. So what is our excuse not to love much? When we know that we have been forgiven, we have been kissed by mercy. We treat people that way. Because we get it. Listen to this. The Amplified Version, I love this, in verse 50 says, Jesus said to the woman, your faith in me has saved you. Listen, go in peace, free from the distress experienced because of sin. Free of the distress experienced because of sin. Listen to this, I heard this. Just a couple of weeks ago, C.S. Lewis says that Christianity is a true fairy tale. Predicaments where there are impossible odds, but the unexpected happens. 
It's the little girl locked in the dungeon that someday becomes a princess. It's the ugly frog that one day becomes a prince. He says Christianity is a true fairy tale. See, as Christians, we have to be, I heard it say one time, in the frog kissing business because we never know who is in that individual that God's about to call out. And every one of us have been kissed by mercy. Amen? Listen to this. I looked this up a couple days ago online. So Chuck Swindoll, you may know the name, once described this situation in regards to this woman or this prostitute as follows. He says, while families gather for dinner and close their door for the night, her workday begins. With saffron scarves and lavender veils, dangling earrings and a dab of perfume, she dresses herself for show. She survives by her looks. And looks she will get. She'll get a leer, a scowl, a wink, and a sneer. All sorts of looks except for one. Love. She is a prostitute. How many times has her heart ached to be wanted for more than just one night? To be valued instead of evaluated. To be prized instead of priced. Her scarlet letter will never rub clean. This day, though, she will meet what she's hardly dared to hope for, he says. He says she will meet love. She will meet kindness. She will meet Jesus. You see, a one-on-one -on -one interaction, an encounter with Jesus can literally set you free. And I want to show you a couple things. And I, I looked at this a little bit, I want to say seven or eight months ago, and I thought, man, this is cool. So I want to show you this. See, Jesus saw this woman differently. And this woman had some responses involved that led her to this moment that led her to the feet of Jesus. Check this out. It's what we have to do. You can kind of think, man, i got to get my backside out of the pew during altar call time. You never get something you had to. You do something you never done. I'll just pray my seat is good. God and I are like, sometimes that gesture does something to you. Listen to this. I'm going to explain this to you, but in this meeting, she, she, she took her back off the wall. Let me show you what that means. See, there's two ways, and I remember Jason preaching this a couple few months ago. There are two ways to kind of see who you are. Mirrors and photos. So we look into a mirror and we see exactly who we are. We see the damage that night did to us in the morning, right? You wake up and you can see your reflection. You can see you exactly who you are, but if we only see photos that are cropped and that are kind of edited and, and made to what we want them to look like, we never really see our real selves, and then we don't see our need for God. If you don't realize who you really are at your core, your carnality, your sinful nature. If you don't see that, then we don't see a need for Jesus. And that's why it says that it's easier for a camel 
to go through the eye of a needle than it is for the wealthy or the rich to go. It's, it's impossible because most of the time, very wealthy people, not all the time, they don't need Jesus. They have everything they need. So you have to realize a need. So listen to this. This woman has to know who she is without this man. She has to have an understanding of that. See, in this meeting, the best seats of this kind of party, they were reclining at the table, the scripture says. The best seats were at the table. They were reserved for the host and the host's friends at the table. See, this woman didn't have a shot. She didn't even have a shot to get close to Jesus until she made a decision. Listen to this. See, you could be an observer at these meetings, but you couldn't be a participant. You ever feel like you're just an observer in Christianity, backs up against the wall, just kind of watching things happen, but you never get in? So you could be an observer, but not a participant. They had special areas where you could stand to make the crowd look bigger around Jesus coming to town, but you have to stay on the outskirts and the fringes because you aren't maybe an invited guest of the host. See, these kinds of parties, they could only have bystanders, but they had to stand with their back up against the wall. Listen to this. This woman in this situation was one of these people. Her back was on the wall. Men at the table. Imagine men at the table. Maybe they saw her back there. Who is this woman? Maybe some of them knew her. Maybe there were some clients of hers there. What is she doing here, they might say. How'd she end up here? Why was she here? What brought her here? And if I look back, stay in Luke 7, verse 11, maybe she heard about what happened earlier as Jesus was walking into the town and a funeral was taking place. Maybe she caught wind of this. Maybe she got word of this. What else would have brought her to this room? She hears this man coming into town. She hears and catches the rumors and the stories. Look at what happens at this funeral, Luke 7, 11. It says, soon afterwards, he went into the city called Nain and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. It's some tough situations recently, this woman. She was a widow, and a sizable crowd from that city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. This, this is intense if you think about this scene, this moment. He came up, it says in 14, and he touched the coffin touches the coffin and the bearers came to a halt and he said young man i say to you that he's dead jesus is speaking to him young man i say to you arise the dead man sat up and began to speak that's a whole other message the dead man sat up out of his coffin begins to speak and jesus gave him back to his mother 
You think about this scene. This, this took place in the city where the dinner is happening and Jesus on his way to the dinner stops a funeral. So Jesus is walking into the city and coming up over the road where he's walking into the city is a funeral procession happening at the same time from a young man that died too soon. We know Ecclesiastes says, why die before your time? Jesus says, this young man died too soon. He raised him from the dead. He touches the coffin, arise, he gets up and begins to speak. So listen, you picture this moment. So death, death, a funeral. The dude's dead. Death and life, Jesus coming in. Can you imagine? Death and life are about to clash in the streets here. And if you don't quite have an understanding of who Jesus is, life always wins. The spirit world in this moment must have been going crazy that this, this rendezvous was about to happen. Death and life were about to clash. He was probably saying all hell was getting scared and nervous as Jesus, here comes trouble again for us. Walking up the streets, look who's coming. This is going to be trouble for us. It's about to get real. It's about to get messed up for hell. So you kind of paint this picture. So back in that time, listen to this. And this is our Jesus. Back in that time, and we even have, I think it's off of Hawaii, we have leper colonies, don't we? You, we, we isolate, we get rid of them. We put them on an island by themselves. Listen to this. Back then, you couldn't touch a leper. You couldn't touch a leper because they were afraid that that disease of leprosy would get on you and then you would be unclean, right? You also couldn't touch an immoral woman because her impurity would get on you. And then finally, you certainly couldn't touch a dead person because then death would get on you and you would be unclean. These are things that you couldn't touch, but I want to say to you this morning that Jesus touched all of them. Because there's this fear that they, they, what they thought would get on them would maybe get on Jesus. So don't touch those things. Leprosy, immorality, see, death would get on him, but maybe we don't fully understand the resurrection and life. Maybe we don't understand this resurrected Jesus because when, when he touches you, you don't get on him. He gets on you. He starts to get on you. So maybe this prostitute got word of what happened and, and started to think, man, if he does this to a dead man, maybe, maybe he'll rub off on me. She's thinking maybe, and I can be free today. Man, so this woman, it causes her to move. She takes her back off the wall. She makes a beeline for the feet of Jesus. It causes her to move. Has anything lately caused you to move, to do something for the Lord because of who he is? Get your back off the wall. Stop being someone who just kind of observes in this game of Christianity and start to participate. Listen to this. I know this woman is same, and I know he can erase my past that haunts me. 
He can set me free. He can deliver me. But she had to say, man, forget you. Forget you. You might be standing beside somebody. You're afraid to make a move. Put a hand up and worship because you're afraid of what they'll think of you. She gets her back off the wall. She makes the choice. Says, forget all you guys. I'm going. Because that man has an answer for me. That man raises the dead. Maybe he can set me free today. But we have to get our backs off the wall. Number two, listen to this. This is like 30 AD, whatever the year is. And you have to understand the, the cultural differences here. So listen to this. Then, number two, she lets her hair down. It's hard to, to dry the feet of Jesus with your hair if it's up. So listen to the cultural differences here. Today, if you're single and you kind of want to know someone is married, you, you look at this, right? You look at the left ring finger of that person's hand if you want to know if somebody is married. This wasn't the case way back when in the first century. I'm not talking about during Downton Abbey times, all you Downton Abbey fans. I'm talking way before that. So listen to this. This wasn't the case in the first century where they had a, 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 a ring on their left finger. It was their hair. See, if a person's hair was up, they were available. Listen to this. If their hair was then let down, they were married or they were taken. Is anyone adjusting their hair? So when this woman, this prostitute, went out at night, when this woman went out at night, her hair was up. She's telling everybody, I'm available. To you, to you, to you, to you, to you, I'm available. This is so powerful. See, every prostitute had their hair up, but on this day, on this day, she, she found her man. And she lets her hair down so she could wash his feet with it. And now this signifies, symbolizes, or represents that now she is a taken woman, smitten by the Son of God, smitten by Jesus. You can picture this. This woman is now saying, uh, letting everybody know that she's now unavailable, that now she is taken. That man, her back is up against the wall. She takes her back off the wall. She lets her hair down. She comes to the feet of Jesus. She's saying, I'm not going to stand around anymore. I'm going to go participate. I'm not going to observe. I don't care what anybody thinks. And now I, I'm... I'm I'm going to the feet of Jesus. My hair is down because I'm taken. Now that's my new man. That's my new love. And I'm smitten by him and what he's done and what he can do for me. Listen to this. I want to spend a little bit of time on this one. Thirdly and lastly, she brings, she's washing his feet with her tears, the Bible says. And some of you know this. Some of you have studied this. Some of you understand this. But I want to break it down for you scientifically as well. How many of you have been to the Middle East? Anyone been to Jerusalem, Israel? A couple of you. So check this out. I, I want to ask this question because I'm thinking, how, how much tears can someone cry? We have foot washing services in here where we have basins of maybe a liter or two of water. A liter or two of water. You can't cry that much. 
It's impossible to cry that much scientifically. It's about to get real, New Hope, all right? So listen to this. You ask, how much can a person really cry enough to wash, wash Jesus' feet? See, the foot-washing basins then, they weren't small. And, and you have to remember that these feet at the time in the first century, they're caked with dirt from the Jerusalem roads. See, science actually says that a good cry is really no more than maybe one to two cc's of liquid. It's not much. It's certainly not enough to wash someone's feet. A good cry. Some of you have cried all night. Some of you have cried until you cannot cry anymore. But it's not enough to wash someone's feet. Listen to this. So some, most people think that the, she, she's down like her feet and they're down like crying and washing his feet with their tears. It doesn't sound like that would ha- that's what happened when you start looking at a little bit of the research. See, she didn't put her eyes on his feet. She broke open her tear bottle. Now some of you know this research. See, uh, 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 several months back, I uh, maybe even told the youth this, but uh, a woman named Barbara Bowen wrote a book called Strange Scriptures That Perplex the Western Mind. Because there's a lot we don't understand culturally about those times and in those places. Said that every person, whether a prince, whether in poverty, whether royalty or the town prostitute, had in their possession... And I looked, and I'm not 100% sure, but they said that it was ceramic, but they said it was corked. So maybe this is a combination of what this could have been like. So listen to this. It says that they would actually have this tear bottle in their possession, and they would bring the bot. They would bottle their tears from painful situations throughout their lives, and would oftentimes, and most of the time, be buried with them. Listen to this. Think about it. The young man whose funeral Jesus had just interrupted had one in his casket because people at the time were buried with their tear bottles. See, everybody was buried with this tear bottle which represented every situation that brought pain into your life. Addiction, heartache, loss, confusion. Not being where you thought you'd be at this point in your life. The passing of a child. Not being able to have children. Not being able to find a spouse. Heartache. You've cried the tears. You've done this. You know what your tears have been shed over. Listen to this. This is actually true. They have found thousands of these that have been excavated in Israel. And they represented every painful moment that you had gone through in your life, you would literally, they would have this fan that would fan out on the edge of this bottle and it would be just enough to where you could hold it under here when you cried in the most painful moments in your life and they would literally catch the tears and they would bottle them. And then they would take this most of the time to the grave. Think about that. 
So again, thousands of these have been excavated in Israel. You think about this woman did. She, she held in her hand all of these painful moments where she cried. She didn't know that she, that she wasn't able to handle this pain. So who could she give this to? Who could she give her pain to? Who could she give her tears to? What could she do with this? She found Jesus. She found him. She broke open the bottle, the Bible says, and put her pain at the feet of Jesus. Everything that this represented, she pours at the feet of Jesus. She had to take her back off the wall and say, I don't care what anybody else thinks, this man has the answers. Then she lets her hair down and she says, I'm now unavailable to you and you and you and I'm taken and smitten by this man. He raises the dead. Maybe I can be set free today. Listen to this. She had a choice to either try to, listen, manage these tears, leave that meeting without taking her back off the wall, and leave with the bottle of tears. She had a choice to leave that meeting having done nothing and try to manage them on her own. But she poured it on the feet of Jesus. Why his feet? Listen to this. Hebrews 2.8 says this. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Under his feet. See, all things go to the feet of Jesus. She took her back off the wall. She lets her hair down. She breaks open her tear bottle. And this on this day, she finds forgiveness. Because how many know that tears are prayers too? When you don't have the words to say, your tears can travel to the heavens. When we can't speak. See, this woman found the feet of Jesus. That's where her tears belong, and that's where our tears belong. See, it's too much for me to try to manage my own tear bottle. It's too much for me. I can't leave this meeting without having made a move. Or I'm just going to take this with me, all of the things that have caused me pain and harm and hurt, and nothing changes. Nothing changes. Break it open today in the presence of Jesus. Don't allow your tears. Don't take your tears to your casket. Having not dealt with the hurt, the pain, the heartache, the turmoil, the tragedy, pour them at the feet of Jesus so you can die this earthly life not having to be buried having done nothing with them 
So you have to ask ourselves the question, do I leave this meeting or, or do I even leave this church service with my tears that I brought? What about my past? See, I don't want to hold on to this anymore. Are you done holding on to your tear bottle? Can we, we hold on to it. We, we act a certain way. We react a certain way when we continue to walk around with our bottle of tears that have caused us hurt and pain in our lives. I can't do this anymore. So she pours out all of her tears on and at his feet. And if it's under his feet, it's under his authority. Hallelujah. See, we don't have the capacity or ability to take these tears back and to carry them with us. I want to ask the band to come back. Let's prepare our hearts and our minds and our spirits to make a decision this morning and to take our back off the wall, to let our hair down, so to speak, and to pour this tear bottle, to break it open and empty it at the feet of Jesus. Listen to this. If you and Jesus are at the same, at the same place at the same time, great things can happen. You're in the same place as Jesus this morning. When you are in the same place as Jesus, great things can happen. So that's what she thinks at this meeting I'm taking advantage of this moment. I saw and I heard what happened with this dead man who raised, was raised from the dead. And only Jesus can close a chapter in, in a tough past with, listen to this, immediate forgiveness. Immediate forgiveness. I want to say this to you this morning as well because sometimes we get this confused with who we think Jesus is. See, if you have to stop something to get to Jesus, then you will be doing that your whole life and never get to Jesus. Well, I gotta stop this first. You don't even know what I have in my back pocket right now, Adam. Well, see, I gotta stop this first. And then, if that is our mindset, we'll never get to Jesus. So I'm thankful that Jesus loves us so much the way that we are and wants us to come to him the way that we are, but he loves us so much that he will not leave us that way. Listen to this. I cannot keep a hold of my own tear bottle. If I do, I will become bitter. I will become angry. I will become cynical. I will become non-trusting. This morning we have to make a choice. Very simple, all coming from one-on-one -on -one conversations. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is just scripture. 
Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because it is with your heart you believe and are justified and with the mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And finally, listen to this. Revelation 21.4 says this. And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. Let's take this this morning and pour it at the feet of Jesus. Can we dim the lights? We have to get our back off the wall. We have to take our hair down. And we will know that we will never cry, listen, alone again. Let's stand to our feet. Maybe Jesus can rub off on us this morning.